I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell, Emily Bowen here, and I'm the COO of Rare Kind. Okay. So today on the show, we're digging into a stack of questions. We put on the My Millennial Money Facebook community a, hey, give us all your career questions. And boy, did you deliver. Oh, yeah. We had so many. We're going to have to like stagger this over three or so episodes. We'll be covering whether you should generalize or specialize, how to deal with job hopping on your resume, and how to build your credibility at work. Let's get into it. Rachel Williams M asks the question, do I keep things generalised in a field or do I become specialised? And what would your answer be, Shel? Handball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do have an answer. I do too, but do you, want- you go first because I probably want to kick mine around a little bit, yeah, so you- I'll bounce no, off you. Here's what's going to happen. I'll go first and then your answer is going to be better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what yours is okay. like and how I can top it. <laughs> awesome. We'll see. So, Rachel, what I would be doing is it depends where you're at in your career My advice to people early in their career is to gain breadth. So if you're starting out a new career, if you've just graduated, generalize. Look at all different avenues and options and see what you enjoy doing. And then from there, after you've had that exposure to what you like and don't like in a particular field, then you can start to specialize. And the more niche you go over time, typically the more opportunity you have for increasing your income. I actually couldn't have said it better myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because when I was thinking about this question, I too was thinking, well, Rachel, why didn't you tell us where you're at in your career? Yeah, we want to know context. Yeah, we need context. And yet the challenge and the fun in this is not having that. But I agree with you, Shell, and for all of the same reasons uh, you've already said. So let's move on. Awesome. Next question is from Sam Cook, and this one got a heap of likes. So I am assuming, and a couple of people commented saying, yes, please answer this one. So I'm assuming that this is- Sam's not alone. Sam's not alone. Mm. So let me read it. All right. Sam says, I've changed careers twice and both times I've burnt out and ended up hating each industry. I'm at the point of contemplating just working a mindless casual job for the money and not bothering with a career as I have lots of hobbies outside of this. Pros and cons. Okay. Can I- just kind of go really left field, bit deep and try and deliver a thought that I had in a way that I I want to come across kindly and then just see what you say. Love it. Do it. The first thought I had when I read this from Sam and something that I guess I'm keen to entertain is, okay, recap, changed careers twice, burnt out both times and then ended up hating each industry. What if the solution to this was not another career change, not a mindless casual job for the money, but instead an opportunity for personal development to avoid burning out? Oh, 
Wow. I don't know. I just want to throw it out there. Like challenge to you, Sam, and others who liked this. Maybe the issue is not the industry or the career. Burnout is not good. I too have been there more than once. So, I, you know, I know hand on heart that that is not a good time. I just wonder if there's some room, at least maybe not for Sam, maybe for others, maybe for Sam, maybe not for others. I don't know. But some room to think actually what can I do differently so that I can have a career that I love I don't feel like I need to keep changing because I don't get to that place of burnout. Yeah, and both of us having been through burnout say this with empathy. When you're in a stage of burnout, it actually distorts some of how you feel about a certain thing. So like for me, when I uh, had three months off, when I went through burnout and I remember during that three-month period thinking I will never be able to go back to work. Like it was so bad. Yeah. And – it wasn't actually about the career. It was about what had got me to the stage of extreme exhaustion and fatigue. And I love what you're saying, Em, that it may actually be an issue of boundaries, of managing your own health, of how do you own – I know we've talked previously on the healthy boundaries thing. So, Sam, go and listen to that because that could be really key if we look at the pattern both times as burnt out twice, changed industries, changed careers – You think you're spot on? Yeah, it's just another idea, right? And it's just a perspective that I I entertained, as I said, myself and I was keen to kick it around, food for thought, because, Sam, if I can take a stab in the dark, I dare say that you're not going to feel any more enjoyment from having a mindless casual job for the money, even if you have lots of hobbies outside of this. And I say that, again, just being a bit of a fake psych here at the moment, psychologist here at the moment, but people who have a tendency for burnout tend to be people who are highly ambitious and driven and have that high sense of achievement need. And so, Sam, I just wonder if you've got an itch there that you need to scratch when it comes to career achievement. And I really think there's a way to do that where – you can have a career, you can have a job that you enjoy that's more than mindless and you also don't burn out. But it won't be easy. Yeah, that's really good insight, Em. And just on the career change, because I know there's a few people who are interested in this whole um, career change, should I try and find a new career opportunity? One of the things you need to look for is aligning careers to your strengths. We've talked about this before. Your career needs to focus on your strengths. If you're working outside of that, you're going to feel drained. You're going to feel unmotivated. And that also can lead to burnout at times. So looking at those jobs that you're doing and assessing how much of my strengths am I using? If you're working as an accountant and you're in spreadsheets all day, but what you really love is design and copywriting, well, of course, you're not going to be engaged in that gig. So so do that self-reflection process to understand your strengths and then look at new opportunities that come along against those strengths to weigh up. Will you have a chance to use them? And if not, then it's probably not the right career path or career change for you. Yeah, and maybe uh, this mindless casual job is a bit like you had three months off shell and that was what you needed as a remedy. Maybe, Sam, the mindless casual job will give you some space for a short period of time or a period of time that suits you to reflect and explore what are your strengths, what are those things that you might do differently when you start up your next career. Yeah, because a mindless job is not a long-term solution in my mind because if you're working for 40 – if you've got 40 plus years of work left, (laughs) (laughs) not a good thought. But if you do, like – 
and you're working a job that you're just doing like transactionally, that may not be energizing unless you've got other things happening that you're you're getting that yeah. joy from. Are these hobbies stimulating enough? Yeah. Mm. All right. Oh, do you want me to read this yeah. one, Shell? All right. So the next one comes from Jung Lim. The question at hand, should I change companies or stay my course? Here's some context. We love context. Uh, I love my job, the role and the team. The culture has been the best I've ever experienced. I've never been so relaxed and I'm feeling really happy. However, my wife and I are starting to think about a family and we can't afford to live off a single income. We don't have any debt other than a fresh mortgage. We invest regularly, live on less than we earn and live by the principle of give, spend and save. However, the market here has been so hot lately and I've received three offers, all which have an increase that ranged from 40 to 60% more. Holy dooly. Uh, I've asked for a pay rise. My boss agreed, said that it was well-deserved and had put it through. He understands my situation. However, it was rejected by upper management as anything above a 10% raise has to go through corporate. Gosh, it sounds like there's quite the layers in this organisation. So should I change companies or stay my course is the question that we asked. Without sounding like a broken record, it really does come back to your values and goals. Yeah. And let's remember, because there was a bit there, that for Jung, feeling uh, super happy, never been so relaxed, culture's the best they've ever experienced. And uh, it sounds like your boss can get through a pay rise of 10%. But it's whether or not taking up one of these other offers, which will get you 40 to 60% more and perhaps better support your goal to start a family in the sense that you'll have even more money is worth giving up that amazing culture that you have. Yeah. So a couple of things that I'd be doing, Jung, is I would go and talk to, if you can, people who work at the organisation that's giving you the offers to ask about the culture. And that happens a lot where people are contacting team members that they might see on LinkedIn and saying, hey, um, we'd love to know about the workplace you're in. What's that like? What is the leadership like? What's the vibe? And getting a sense of that culture because I think that's really important to you and that's important for all of us for our satisfaction at work. You can even make that request more overtly through the hiring manager or the recruiter that you're dealing with. So you can say, uh, look, I'd really love the opportunity to spend some time with some of the team. If you haven't already done that through the process, uh, would you mind teeing up, you know, an opportunity for me to have a coffee with one or two people that I'd be working closely with? Yeah, because I I love that you're testing the thing in that way. It's really helpful. It's really constructive, but you're getting a sense of what the culture's like. And if you can have a good culture and get a 40% pay rise, well... How awesome. Let's take both. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we have both? And you just want to sense check it. So so let us know how you go. We're really keen to hear about that because there are they're big decisions. And the only other thing I would say on this one, can you go back to your boss and and have you told them what these other organizations have offered you? Now, I'm keen to hear what you think about that because you might have a different view to me. But as a boss, if one of my team members who I think is awesome is considering another job and I'm not in exactly sure about how much they're being offered, I might just assume, oh, 10% should kind of tie them over. But really what's on the table for them externally is way more than that. 
I'd love to, if I really want to keep them, I'd love to know how I can make sure I've got enough of those retention hooks. Yeah, 10% is not insignificant. So that's a pretty decent pay rise, particularly as an off cycle, you know, you've gone and made that request and and you've got that support. Like that, that's not a uh, an insignificant thing, but it is a, a fair way away from 40 to 60% more. That's quite phenomenal. The other little, um, I guess, check that you might, do just using this situation as a catalyst for is just double check whether it is the hot market or whether maybe the organization you're in for everything that's amazing about it from a culture point of view are their salaries a bit off kilter and so while it's a 40 to 60 percent increase from what you're on is your current organization maybe a bit behind like a bit under market and so because I just I guess I'm just finding it a little bit challenging to think oh 40 to 60 like that that feels like maybe some organizations are over market maybe your organization pays under market and what's the on what's the genuine on market rate whether it be a hot market or not um the market is cooling a little bit at the time of release of this episode as well so all food for thought uh and again we want to come back to what are your goals and and whatnot but look culture is one of the hardest things to get your hands on as far it's as the unicorn know, yeah, finding a finding a good place to be and oh I'm really I'm getting on a roll now Shell so yeah scroll Do down it. and find the next question and, and move me along however when you have a family I, I understand Jung that you've said that more money will make it more affordable for you to start your family just be mindful of the other benefits that a good culture can bring as well that will allow you to accommodate what it means to have uh, a growing family around flexibility and and what balance and boundaries and all of those oh, things as really, well. Like you're bringing it home. You cannot hitting, buy that, right? You cannot. <laughs> so really, really <laughs> glad that you've said all that. Yeah, I'm warming up. The coffee is kicking in. It is. All right. We're going to throw to a quick break and we'll be back in a sec. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Next question. Stacey Kirkby says... How do you explain what might look like job hopping on your CV? Over the last two years, I've moved companies three times due to toxic workplaces, higher salary opportunities, and to manage my stress and workload. I know personally I've made the right decision for my health and wallet, but on paper, it looks like I'm unreliable and a potential flight risk. Sad emoji. 
if if Stacy, if you'd asked this question in a slightly different way and said, you know, what's the limit to moving so that it looks okay on my resume? I'm being a little bit controversial today. I might not be making as many friends as normal, but I think you might be really hitting that limit, you know, three times in two years. It does start to become challenging to convince somebody that you're not unreliable and not a potential flight risk because there's a pattern forming. So you do have a task ahead of you. I would really encourage you to practice, practice, practice your narrative and in a way that becomes succinct around each of your moves but does not end up sounding scripted so that you can really explain those and you can give that comfort. But also, uh, I guess, looking ahead, you need to spend as much time practicing and working out how you're going to convince that interviewer that their specific organisation with their specific role that you're applying for is different to all of those other circumstances as well. This is this is a bit tricky actually for me to answer. That's what you're saying is crucial around how do you communicate it without sounding scripted? So that authenticity and trust, because what's happening when they look at your CV is that they're they're worried that maybe they won't be able to trust you to stay. So you need to build trust in the interview. So how do you do that? Exactly what Em just said. You need to to make be very specific about why that organisation has the secret sauce that you're after and that you're going to be in there for the long haul with them. And also we've talked on previous episodes about when you share parts of your story that might feel a little bit difficult to talk about, chat about what you've learned through them. So I learned at that organisation that I was doing X, Y and Z and it it wasn't as energising or it wasn't in my sweet spot and so I recognised that that wasn't the place for me and what I love about the current role in the business is that it aligns with my values and my strengths and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's it's bridging that gap between the other three workplaces and this potential new workplace in a way that says I can see how you guys are different and that is a better match for me and the specificity of it, you, you will not at this point be able to be vague or rambly or skim across the surface of, of any of this explanation. But again, remembering to remain um, authentic and, and not feeling too scripted at the same time as um, being succinct. Hey, one um, other little, just because this is the theme of the day for me, final thought on this one. I do, and again, maybe I'm not making friends here, but I do also want to remind everybody when you're going for that next role, when you're um, researching companies that you might want to work for, you're applying for the job and you're meeting with them for interview, do make sure that you're doing your homework as best as you can and, and you're making the right decision so that you actually avoid needing to change companies three times in two years. Yeah. Oh, hey, you are on a roll. I know, but do people still like me at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out after. Uh, yeah, We'll I just, see it in the uh, reviews. But I, I that comes down for me to those questions you mentioned, asking the hiring manager those questions uh, uh, up front to get a sense of is this right for me because it's often we think the decision to get a role, the decision to land the job rests with the employer but it doesn't. It's a it's a decision you both make. Yeah, and Stacey's said here, you know, she she said, I know personally in, in changing companies these three times in two years I've made the right decision for my health and wallet 
what that means in this context is she's made the right decision to move away from a company because of toxic workplaces or to manage stress or because, you know, they're not paying as high as she could otherwise achieve. What we're talking about here is just shifting the focus to make sure that the right decision that you make is actually where you're going to, not what you're moving away from. Oh, love it. Amazing. Rebecca Drummond asks, how do I prevent hitting the glass ceiling? It gets tiring changing companies constantly to progress. Mm. Yeah, I want more context. (laughs) But I would be doing a few things. The first thing is trying to seek feedback. So if you've moved and you've had this experience and it tends to be a pattern, so you've been at, Rebecca, multiple companies where you feel like you're hitting a blocker, and you're not able to progress. Let's say you're in a technical role and your goal is to move into a leadership role, but you, you've at three different companies, you've not gotten that role. Then I think it's time for you to get that feedback. What is it that you need to do differently to grow or to progress into that type of role? Are there things that you're doing that are holding you back? Is there an extra bit of study that you need to be doing? That would be my starting place because Often it starts with that, how do I get feedback? How do I have self-reflection? Is Can I get a coach or a mentor to help me navigate this? So for me, em, I really think my, my first step is self-reflection. Yep, awesome. Totally agree with that. I might just add, and this is coming without any context around uh, Rebecca's journey, I believe in finding the right balance between push and patience. So I would, part of this self-reflection perhaps would be asking the question, am I actually being patient enough or am I moving on, changing companies too quickly? Yeah. And now that you're saying that, Em, the other thing that's um, made me think of is look at the organisations you're in and observe what happens for other people. So if other people are getting lots of progression opportunities and you're not, that should that likely tells you that you've got some self-development to do. If you're in an organisation and no one's getting any progression, well, that tells you about the culture. So if, if there's often when roles come up, it's always recruited externally and filled with an external applicant. Well, that to me is possibly a red flag that you're not going to get, you're going to hit a glass ceiling. So really notice what's going on around you and use that as an indicator of whether is it about you or is it actually about the culture that you're in? And if you are, Rebecca, in a situation at the moment where you're going through an interview process, for example, uh, again, bit of a theme of the day, but ask questions. Do your homework through the recruitment process to answer some of these questions that Shell's just put to you around culture um, and whatnot and what that organisation invests in their people, how they view development opportunities, how often promotion and progression opportunities come up. Make sure you know the answers to all of those so that you don't get any surprises and you can make a really clued up decision. Yeah, what, getting really practical for Rebecca, one of the questions I would ask your manager is, or in the interview, my career goal is to get into leadership or whatever your career goal is, is that an optional possibility here? What does career growth look like? And ask them and be specific about what you're, what you're wanting because then they should be able to give you a clear answer and then they know from the outset of uh, you starting in the role what you're actually after long term. Yeah, yeah, totally. And a follow-up might be, are there examples of that that you can share with me? So getting them to tell you about Sally and about uh, Thomas and about these people who are specific people, real-life people. Awesome. 
All right, we're going to bring it home with Samantha Jane. Samantha asks, how do you get someone to take you seriously in a professional setting? I'm 26 and most people I work with are 40 or over. I'm always seen as the baby and my ideas are never taken seriously. Hmm. M. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is a tricky one again. We're like we want context, but we also love the challenge of not having it. Uh, I think about uh, credibility comes to mind. So, without knowing what industry you're in, Samantha, there may be opportunities for you to build credibility internally or externally that you could consider. That said, I think more of this answer probably lies in how you're approaching those individuals and how you're communicating. And so. To give you an example, uh, sometimes you'll, it's, it's probably a little bit of a general example, but you'll get the idea. Sometimes you will find that when you go to one particular person, let's call them Mark, they seem to respond most well to evidence-based, uh, I guess, ideas or pictures that you put forward. Whereas when you go to another person, let's call them Adrian, you might find that Adrian responds best to more, um, I guess, aspirational, creative conversations. And so part of what I would encourage you to do is rather than thinking of the people at your workplace as a group of people who are all over 40 and see you as a baby, maybe pick off to begin with a couple of them that you feel are most influential in the organization and start to really build your relationship with them as individuals and to understand from them what it is that influences them. So what do you need to take to a conversation with Mark versus take to a conversation with Adrian in order to have them really hear you? And and I guess that's my way of going like, what is that gateway? What is that entry point to really building that credibility with a couple of key people and then blossom from there. That was really, (laughs) I shouldn't sound surprised, but it was a really solid answer. And I'm thinking, what can I do to add to that? Which is very minimal. I'm glad because I I was certainly working through that as I was speaking, as you guys could probably tell. I'm like immersed in your answer. It reminded me of something that you've said to to me and to uh, on the podcast many times, Em, around remember your audience. So think about your audience often we're thinking so much about our idea and we're obsessed with our idea and we're just trying to, you know, ram it home so people listen. But when you think about the audience, as you said, Em, how do they like to receive information? You can then craft your sell, your pitch to land well with them. And one thing I have seen where this tends to be tricky for younger employees in the workplace trying to influence um people who might be a little bit older is they just keep talking and it's like it becomes this like ram the thing home and one of the strategies you could use is ask curious questions to help you influence which is a more subtle way of doing it rather than feeling like I'm just going to keep banging on about this until they get it. Often what that does is cause people to shut down whereas if you're asking curious questions and suggesting ideas in ways that are going to resonate with those particular individuals. I think that's a much better strategy. Yeah. And maybe I'm I'm really positioning myself and sort of envisioning this conversation that you might be in where you're chatting with Adrian and Adrian's, you know, got all this experience and uh, you're asking curious questions 
And then maybe another little gateway is not to be pitching a fully formed idea, but instead start by adding to an idea that that person already has. So that more experienced or, you know, older person, perhaps those things go hand in hand, maybe they don't, but that older person is is not necessarily taking your full ideas seriously. Could they take an idea seriously when it's it's just a little mini addition to something that's already happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's some really good insights there, Em. You've been on fire today. Oh, thanks. Must have been that coffee that you made me. Oh, yeah. All over it. <laughs> hey, well, as always, if you enjoy the show... Subscribe, <laughs> rate, review. She, ha- I watched that happen then. She went blank. I went blank. I'm like, what do I say What's my end? script again? <laughs> yeah, tell your friend. <laughs> Share with a friend. If this episode, if one of these questions sounds like your your mate who's got a challenge at work at the moment, please share it. That gets it out there. That's what we want. That enables us to do more episodes. What more could you want? What more could you want? Thanks, Shell. See ya. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.